It has been a very long time since you've heard my voice to open up an episode of Give Em Hell Brigham. Yet here I am. I am Jeff Hansen. This is Give Em Hell Brigham. And Garrett is nowhere to be found. He's gone. I think he's having a baby, but I don't know that. I guess he's not having a baby. Allie deserves the credit. Uh, and as much as society has changed, I can say definitively that Garrett is not pregnant. He is not having a baby, but we wish him well. Hopefully the baby comes today so that he's able to catch kickoff tomorrow. Babies during football season. It's tough. You know, anniversaries you can plan around. Sometimes those babies you can't plan around. And then you've got this 18-year to-do list during September, October. It's never great. But best of luck to Garrett. Best wishes to Allie uh, as they get ready to have a child. So it's just me today. I, I thought about bringing in a co-host. But uh, the last time I had my own co-host, he transferred to Utah. So we're going to avoid that scenario and i'm going solo today so it's give them hell brigham it's kansas week we're here and it's just me and i don't know what that really means for us it feels intimidating still i know i do the daily dose every day where i'm looking at a camera and i'm talking but something about this long form podcast by myself I don't know. It makes my back hair stand up. It kind of gets me a, a little bit, uh, a little bit intimidated, a little scared. But we're here. We're gonna push through, and I hope you guys enjoy the show. It does make me feel a little, I don't know. I mean, a little Howard Sterny. I just feel like I, my, like my voice. As soon as this was a solo, a solo show, my voice dipped down a few octaves. I got a little bit more, you know, Casey Kasemi that, hey, this is the top 20 countdown. And I don't know. I don't I, I, I can't I can't control it. I can't can't avoid it. It is what it is at this point. Uh, so let's just jump right into it today, folks. And first and foremost, I, I feel like there is something that needs to be discussed that we have not yet discussed on this show. I haven't discussed it really with anybody outside of my kids yet, but it's an important development in my life. And it feels like it's an important development. In the greater, I don't know, not the greater good of society, but the greater impact of society, McDonald's seems to have changed their sweet and sour sauce recipe. I don't know what it is, but over the course of the last month, every sweet and sour sauce that I have obtained from McDonald's has tasted like absolute dog shit. It has been bad in every sense of the word, and that's my go-to sauce since I was just a wee lad. I was always a sweet and sour guy. So I recognize this taste. I know what McDonald's sweet and sour is supposed to taste like. And they put a new label on it. It's a dark green now. There's a little shimmer to it. They're trying to get all pizzazz. And I'm afraid that they've put some of that pizzazz into the sauce itself. It is not good at all. So that's that's an important development here in life, I, and I don't know where to go from here. A tangy barbecue, I mean, it's solid. It's there. Ranch, if you get ranch in those little cups from a fast food store, not just or not just McDonald's, but any ranch from any fast food establishment, I, I think you might be a sociopath. That ranch is not good. It's watered down. So we're going to steer clear of the ranch, and I think they even call theirs buttermilk ranch, and, and there's something about it that just – calling it buttermilk ranch and then serving it in that little cup 
it immediately feels curdled. So that's happened. Uh, people like the honey mustard or the bread, spicy mustard, whatever it is. It's garbage. I, I've tried it. I've tried to like it at the request of so many people, and it still continues to be bad. Sweet and sour is where it's at. But if sweet and sour has changed, then I think it's time to officially re-rank McDonald's chicken nuggets on the power rankings. They're typically a top three nugget. There's no question about it. They are typically a top three nugget right up there with Chick-fil-A and the spicy nugget from Wendy's. But without sweet and sour sauce, I, I can't do it. Without sweet and sour sauce, they may fall. They definitely fall out of the top five, and they may fall all the way down below the top ten. That's how bad it is. And there's other nuggets that are changing the game. Arby's has chicken nuggets. They're fantastic. So there's other nuggets out there now. Popeye's has nuggets. So anyway, interesting times there at McDonald's. Definitely uh, something that we're going to keep our eye on. I'll continue to do the dirty work for everybody. I'll continue to get the sweet and sour sauce in hopes of days gone by returning. But until those days come back, I'm going to continue to be disappointed. And we're just going to see the uh, we're going to see the McDonald's chicken nugget plummet through the power rankings as quickly as an Eric Mateos led Baylor offensive line. I mean, that really is the question at this point. Which fall from grace has been steeper? The McDonald's chicken nugget with this crappy sweet and sour sauce or the Baylor offensive line led by Jeff Grimes and Eric Mateos? Because that offensive line's been bad. They did sneak by the powerhouse Long Island to break their six-game losing streak. So I guess maybe we, you know, maybe they're back. Baylor's back now. They beat Long Island. I think that's who it was. I don't even know. I think it was long. I'm going to look it up because, you know, we're accurate on this show. We care about accuracy and we want to hold ourselves accountable. And I don't have Baylor here to keep, or excuse me, don't have Garrett here to keep me accountable. So I'm going to look it up, but I think it was Long Island. And I do believe it was a six game losing streak. If we'd go back, this is Baylor. I know this, we're not, it's not Baylor week. I don't care, but we kind of care. If we go back to last year, uh, starting November 12th. Baylor lost 31 to 3 to Kansas State, 29-28 to TCU, 38-27 to Texas, 30 to 15 to Air Force in Baylor's bowl game. Now we're to hear this year uh it was it was uh Texas State at the beginning of the year 42-31 and then just an abysmal performance against a a limping Utah team that had backup quarterback problems, they had all kinds of issues. And they couldn't figure out how to win that game. Lost 20-13. to 13. But they did finally snap the losing skid. And it is. It's LIU, Long Island Sharks, powerhouse football program. They got a 30-7 to win. So good for Baylor. But I don't think that's enough to uh, put them ahead of the McDonald's chicken nugget. I think the McDonald's chicken nugget, even with the dog shit sauce, is still probably ahead of Baylor football right now at this point. But let's talk BYU. Let's talk Kansas. We'll get right into this. Uh, here, here's my hot take. I have a hot take. And normally, if I lead with a sentence like that, I'd say, here's my hot take. And Garrett would then be like, oh, well, let's, let's hear it. I've got a spreadsheet that will document the hot take. But he's not here, so I feel like i got to take these, these long pauses, and I don't like it because it makes me feel Colin Cowherdy. But that's, I mean, that's where we're at. I got to gather my thoughts 
before I express my take. But here is my take. BYU is the best defense that Kansas will have played since their resurgence to football relevancy started at the beginning of 2022. I think that's accurate. Let's go through here. I mean, we, we can break this down because I really think that this is accurate. Kansas football has not played a tough defense since 2021. So Kansas football is on their way back. They clearly look better in good defense, bad defense. It doesn't matter because Kansas is clearly better today than they were when they were that laughing stock program in 2021, you know, and before, right? I was on a uh, Kansas podcast earlier this week and they reminded me, and I guess I didn't know, they taught me that Baylor has only had back-to-back bowl games, I think is how they said it, back-to-back bowl game years once since like 1915. So that was wild. I, I'll have to go listen to make sure that that's accurate. Again, fact check. Uh, but I think that's what he said. They, they're just not a winning program. Okay, so 2022, they end up going 6-7, and seven, and that's a banner year for the Jayhawks where they've been. And everybody's ready to anoint them as, as, as they're good. They're one of the better programs in the Big 12. And I'm just not quite there. I'm not there. And here's why. Because they beat Tennessee Tech. That's great. You know, bully for them. Then they beat West Virginia. West Virginia was the 111th ranked pass defense uh, in 2022. That was a 55-42 game, went into overtime. They beat Houston. Great. Again, great. I don't want to downplay. I don't want to diminish what they're doing. This is great, especially by Kansas standards. But Houston was the 122nd ranked pass defense a year ago. It's not like they beat the Houston Oilers. They beat Dana Holgerson's Houston. Okay, then they beat Duke. Duke went 9-4 and four last year. That was a solid Duke team. This is a solid win for, for Kansas. And they really played better than the score would have you indicate. I think they got stuffed at the goal line in this game. They had a, a turnover in the red zone. So it probably could have been an even bigger, I mean, they won by eight. They probably could have won by three scores in this game. I mean, they realistically probably could have. But Duke was the 105th-ranked pass defense, so it's not like they were great. Okay, they did play a very good defense, so here's the uh, asterisk. Iowa State is an elite defensive football team, and uh, they did play Iowa State. Iowa State is unquestionably, especially Iowa State a year ago, unquestionably a better defense than BYU is today. So there's there's the the, the proof that my statement is wrong. But other than Iowa State... I think BYU is the best defense that Kansas will have seen since 2021. And Iowa State, great. They have an elite defense, but they are as equally inept on offense as they are elite on defense. So Iowa State holds Kansas to just 14 points, a season-low output for the Jayhawks. That was all they needed. They won 14-11. to Matt Campbell's got real problems at Iowa State. He's got fans calling him out. He's reacting to fans. He's got real problems at Iowa State. They got real offensive problems, you know, and I would think that they would just bet on themselves and, and hope that they can push through it. But so far, those bets haven't been hitting. Okay, TCU is the next game. BYU, uh, excuse me. Uh, Kansas plays TCU. They lost. Uh, TCU went to the national championship game, but they didn't do it on the back of their defense. 
TCU, especially as a pass defense, though they won, they were a sub-90 defense, pass defense last year. That's not great. Okay, that is not great. Oklahoma was shockingly bad as a pass defense, sub-100 last year. Kansas lost. They lost to Baylor. That's the same Baylor team, mind you, that BYU beat in 2022. We, we, we might forget that. There's not very many, uh, you know, same opponent type win or type games for BYU last year and, and Kansas last year, but, but Baylor is one of them. BYU beat Baylor. Baylor beat Kansas. 35 to 23. Kansas, or excuse me, Baylor was the 65th ranked pass defense. Okay, they had a bye week. Then they go and they beat Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State is in complete disarray this year. Last year, they were a little bit more respectable. But on defense, still the 106th-ranked pass defense in the entire country a year ago. That's bad. Then they go. They lose to Texas Tech. They get beat by 15. Texas Tech, I think, had another sub-nine. I don't have that uh, their number here right in front of me. But I believe they were a sub-100 pass defense as well. Uh, they got blown out. Kansas gets blown out by Texas. When we think of Texas, um, when we think of Texas and this Kansas and Texas, I think people have a tendency to mistake 2021 from 2022. Kansas beat Texas in 21. Kansas got their door, their teeth kicked in in 2022. It's 55 to 14 uh, at home. That was a, a game in Lawrence, and Texas got the best of them. I believe Texas was a sub-90 pass defense. Again, I don't have them right here in front of me. They lost by 20 to Kansas State. Kansas State was uh, mid-60s right there with Baylor. I think they were 64-65 in terms of pass defense. And then Arkansas. They lose to Arkansas, and that was a solid defense, but not great last year. Again, uh, kind of, I mean, we all saw it, right? We saw what BYU did to that Arkansas defense a year ago. Not last week, but a year ago. And it was fine. I mean, it wasn't a spectacular defense. It was definitely the Achilles heel of that Arkansas team. Okay, now we're now we're to this year. That was the 2022. I don't see any of those defense that other than Iowa State that I would definitively say, oh, they are unquestionably better as a defensive football team than BYU is right now under Jay Hill. 2023, uh, Missouri State, we don't care. They play Illinois. Illinois, uh, Kansas beat Illinois a couple of weeks ago. Illinois is currently the 97th ranked pass defense in the country. They're not good. I know that they're a Big Ten team, but they are a bottom-of-the-barrel Big Ten team. I, don't, I mean, that's not controversial at this point. That's just reality. So I'm not that impressed by a 34-23 to win, especially at home. I'm not, I'm not that impressed by that win. If I'm stack, if BYU and Illinois play today, I think BYU beats Illinois by at least 11 points. I'm not that scared of Illinois. And then we get to last week, Nevada. Kansas put up 31 points against Nevada. Nevada's terrible. They're as bad as McDonald's sweet and sour sauce. The 130th ranked pass defense in the country. Now, I will say this. Nationally speaking, everyone's looking at that Nevada game and saying, oh, my word. How does Kansas only beat Nevada by a touchdown? That place sucks to get to. BYU fans can remember, traveling to Reno is never fun, never easy. For whatever reason, that's a tough, tough road trip. 
and it nearly got the best of Kansas last week, but they were able to escape with a win. Still, not an impressive win, not an impressive showing, but Kansas, uh, but but Reno is tough to play. I mean, let's let's be honest about it. It is a tough place to play. It's it, it's got Laramie vibes. I mean, it's just it's not Laramie. Not that Reno and Laramie are the same, but it's just kind of hard to get to. Not a lot to do, so everybody's showing up to the football games, and it's kind of a crazy place. No matter how many fans are or are not there, it's just kind of a weird place. But, I mean, that's it, guys. I mean, I'm really not that impressed by any of the defenses that Kansas has played throughout their, call it a resurgence to college football relevancy. I'm just not that impressed. And as a result, I think other than maybe that Iowa State defense, that BYU is the best defense that Kansas will play. And if that's true, then why wouldn't we expect the defense to play well? Why wouldn't we expect the Kansas offense to struggle, you know, maybe not struggle at large, but to struggle more than they have uh, during this resurgence of Kansas football? I love, I love the Kansas offense. Jalen Daniels is fantastic. There's no question about it. Devin Neal, fantastic running back. I love their offensive coordinator, Andy Kotelnicki. He He's fantastic. It's one of the most innovative and creative offensive schemes that I think exist in the country. Uh, when you watch it, there, there's going to be some similarities to what BYU saw when they played uh, Coastal Carolina on the teal turf all those years ago. It's a little bit more... 50-50, a little bit more balanced than uh, what Grayson McCall is running. But schematically, it's similar. A lot of misdirection, a lot of options, a lot of RPOs. And you got to have a quarterback who could do it all, and Jalen Daniels can do it all. He's very, very, very good. And that's going to be tough for the BYU defense. Now, one thing that BYU has done this year on defense that we couldn't say in the years past, aside from... The things we've talked about already, aside from an aggressive style of play, getting to the quarterback, blah, 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 we've seen a much more disciplined defense under Jay Hill, and that's what it takes to slow down a Jalen Daniels type of a defense or type of an offense. To slow down this Andy Kotelnicki attack, you've got to have great eye discipline because there's going to be a lot of misdirection. There's going to be a lot of RPOs. There's going to be a lot of options. You got to have an eye on the football and you got to maintain your lanes. BYU really needs to think of this, and maybe fans, as we're trying to conceptualize the kind of uh, discipline that it's going to take. Think of all those times playing Air Force. That triple option attack, Air Force was never the most talented team in the world, but that triple option attack, if you try to make plays and you get out of your lanes, then that triple option, that beats you. This is a, a more advanced version of that, a more complex version of that with a quarterback who can also throw the ball. So BYU is going to have to be disciplined. They're going to have to tackle well. So those are two things that I think have been strengths under Jay Hill. This team almost immediately became a much better tackling team once Jay Hill took over. That's huge. They have been a much more disciplined team as well. That's huge. Those are the things that it takes. Now, when we get into kind of the individual matchups of how is BYU going to match up? How are they going to, you know, who has to play well in order for BYU to win? To me, this one almost becomes, it, it's almost easy. This is the BYU linebackers versus uh, Jalen Daniels and Devin Neal. 
if BYU's linebackers, I mean, they're fast, right? They can cover sideline to sideline. <laughs> if they can string plays out, then I think that BYU is going to be in a good spot. If they can make the the rushing attack, if they can spread it out and allow others to fly to the ball instead of allowing these running backs to hit their gaps and get north and south quickly, then I think that BYU is going to be right where they need to be. I don't think Jalen Daniels wants to run the ball very much. He normally does. He's hurt. He missed week one because of a back injury. He hasn't been practicing in full because of that back injury as they kind of nurse that throughout the year. When Jalen Daniels went down last year, as good as Jason Bean played, and he did play well, it was a different team, and that's when the losses started to mount up for the Jayhawks. They want to keep Jalen Daniels healthy, and as a result, I don't think we're going to see him run like he would if he were 100%. I just don't. I think they're going to try to protect him a little bit. So BYU's linebackers have an opportunity. Use their speed. They cover sideline to sideline so well. They are smart. They are aggressive. And they are good tacklers. A.J. Vongvachon and Ben Bywater are especially good tacklers. Those two need to have huge games. And if they're able, they're not going to stop Daniels and Neal. Those two are too talented. The scheme is too good to stop them. But if they can slow them down and contain them a little bit, right? I, I think BYU is going to find themselves in a really, really good position. The secondary is going to be tested as well. I like BYU's corners. We all do. Eddie Heckard's great. Jacob Robinson is great. Cam Garrett, great. Um, if they get opportunities for interceptions, they cannot drop interceptions. BYU has to take advantage of those types of opportunities when they come up. So Jacob Robinson, I think he's dropped one or two this year. Cam Garrett had one. They've got to come down with those opportunities, and I think they'll be there. Jalen Daniels, as good as he is, I don't know that he's always making the right decision. I think he throws into some tight windows. Kansas has fumbled the ball. They've lost a fumble in like six straight games or something like that. I mean, they're not a ball security team, so there's going to be opportunities there. So I like the corners. The corners should be able to, to do what they need to do, but they're also going to have to contain the edge. They're going to have to help in this rushing attack. Again, good eye discipline. I'm expecting to see a little bit more zone coverage in the secondary than we've seen throughout the first three weeks of the season. And in large part, because I think that the corners are going to have to be able to help out in the run game without compromising the, you know, the pass game. They can't compromise their coverage in the secondary. So this is the game. This is the first game this year that I look at on paper and I say, man, BYU is going to miss Micah Harper. Micah Harper would be a difference maker in this game because of his ability to play coverage and because of his ability to diagnose plays quickly, read what running backs and quarterbacks are going to do and get into the backfield and make a play. This is the game that BYU is going to miss Micah Harper the most. I think Ethan Slade has played well uh, substituting for Micah Harper and for Talon Alfrey, you know, in that case. But this is the game that, that he has to step up. He has to have an all-world game. That's going to be tough to do. This is also a game we know the depth chart officially lists Tanner Wall ahead of Malik Moore. This is a game that you really wish that your senior safety and Malik Moore was playing well, but he's just not. I'm curious to see if Jay Hill is going to give him some run 
Or if he got benched, then he is benched. He got benched and was benched against Arkansas. He took a terrible angle on that first touchdown, that long touchdown run that Arkansas had, A.J. Green, uh, 55 yards down the sideline. I don't know that that terrible angle necessarily stops that uh, because A.J. Green had a full head of steam. I don't know, but it was an awful angle, and it was sort of indicative of what we've seen from Malik Moore, just some bad instincts, some bad decision-making. We saw against Southern Utah that Malik Moore allowed somebody to get over the top, maybe thinking that he had the back of the end zone to act as kind of another defender, but he was standing on the eight, nine yard line and and the quarterback was able to just dump the ball in for an easy touchdown over Malik Moore's head. He's just not playing well. He's not playing well at all. This is a game you wish that he was playing well so that you could rely on him at the back end of that secondary, but you can't. So Tanner Wall is going to get the start. Tanner Wall played okay. I mean, he played, he didn't play spectacularly well, but he didn't play spectacularly unwell. We didn't really notice that Tanner Wall was in the game, and that was fine against Arkansas, but I think against Kansas and the way that this offense likes to spread people out, you're going to have to notice that those safety positions. They're going to be bigger factors in this game. I don't know that Jay Hill will be able to hide them and protect them as well as he has throughout the first three games of the season. I think he has to... These guys have to make plays. They just do. There's too many weapons and it's too advanced of a scheme to have two guys in the secondary that only make plays when plays are right there to be had. So this is an interesting game. I think the, the secondary is going to be challenged. Those safeties, it's not to say that they can't, but you never want to rely on two walk-ons at the same time. That's not great. That's not great. So we'll see. We'll see what happens there. Eddie Heckard uh, could have a big game in this one as well. BYU will play a lot of nickel, I'm sure, You know, as they kind of figure out how do we hide some of the safety problem. They play a lot of nickel, play a lot of coverage that way. Eddie Heckard could have a really big game. Those corners coming off of corner, corner blitzes and things like we've seen several times this year, those could be big opportunities for very big plays if Jay Hill can get that play call in at the right time. This is the kind of game uh, where, where Kansas, you know, Arkansas wanted to get you know, they wanted to control the line of scrimmage. They they tried to run up the middle a lot. Kansas tries to spread things out. They want to get to the edge. They want to get to the outside. Eddie Hecker could have a very big game in this game against the run. He could end up leading. He or Jacob Robinson could end up leading the team in tackles by the end of the game. So that's got to happen. And then when it comes to the defensive line, that's another big, I don't want to call it a question mark, but it's kind of a question mark for me just because of how do they do it? Because this is the kind of game that I think the defensive front has to be more disciplined. They, they almost need to two-gap. They almost need to do some of the things that Elisa Tuiaki would have done a year ago. We've seen a very aggressive front four, right, trying to get to the quarterback, and that's important. But Jalen Daniels is the kind of quarterback that if you get too aggressive and you get outside of your lane – or you leave your gap, he will exploit that. K.J. Jefferson, fantastic quarterback. Very different from Jalen Daniels. K.J. Jefferson likes to play bully ball. He's just hard to bring down, and it's after you miss two or three tackles, and you've got guys laying on the grass that he takes off and runs, or on a speed option where he just lowers his shoulder and runs through people. 
That's what KJ Jefferson does. That's not what Jalen Daniels is going to do. He's an elusive. He's quick. He's fast. He's the kind of guy that, yeah, if you get too far upfield trying to get to the quarterback, he'll just run right on past you, and it'll be an eight-yard gain before the linebackers can even realize what's going on. So how does Jay Hill, how does Coach uh, you know, Kelly Papinga, Shoni Pua, how do they manage that? How do they keep this team that they've been having to preach aggressive, aggressive, aggressive into? How do they now in week four say, okay, some of what you guys were doing a year ago, that's what we need to implement right now. On the edges, Isaiah Banyam, Man- Blake Mangelson, Tyler Batty, those guys just do their thing, but don't lose contain, right? Don't lose contain. Jalen Daniels has this weird tendency as, as pressure comes, it's almost Johnny Manzelish. It works in the college game and it works in Madden, but it's not something that would translate to the NFL, but he doesn't step up into the pocket. Rarely he'll tuck and run and go through the a gap, but he isn't rarely, at least in the games that I've seen, Rarely does he step up into the pocket and continue to look to pass. That doesn't happen. Instead, what he does is it's like he's Michael Vick, and you're playing with Michael Vick and Madden. You do what, what, what everybody did. You just keep running backwards because you're faster than all of the defenders coming after you. So you just keep running backwards, running backwards, buying time, buying time, and then you hope that eventually you get around that defensive end, and then you figure out what to do after you get around him. More than any quarterback that I've seen in recent memory, Jalen Daniels will extend plays by running back. That's why I think Eddie Hecker could have a big game, some of those corner blitzes. Uh, the linebackers are going to be important as well. Max Tooley could have a big game. as he. I, I don't think he's going to be in like a true quarterback spy, but if he's sitting in his own and he sees the opportunity to go and make a play because the quarterback is scrambling and running backwards, Max Tooley will use his instincts, right? He'll go make a play. So that'll be interesting to see. The defensive ends, go do your thing. Don't lose contain. Don't lose the edge, but do your thing. This game is going to be a big game for Caden Hawes, John Nelson, Naisamahe. They have to they have to maintain their gaps or Jalen Daniels will kill the BYU defense. They have to be very, very assignment sound this week. Those defensive tackles have to play well. And playing well may not mean even a single tackle at the end of the game, but they have got to maintain their gaps, read well, eat up the blockers, and not get upfield, not get pushed off the spot, and allow gaps to open up. Offensively, boy, boy, my kingdom for a running game. If there was ever a time that BYU needs to figure out what the hell they're doing on the offensive line. It's this week. It's just been frustrating. I mean, can we just vent about this for a little bit? LJ Martin has great vision. He's got good burst. Deion Smith, you can see it when he gets the ball in his hands, which hasn't been very many times. The guy's a big play waiting to happen, but there are just not gaps that are opening up. When they do, LJ Martin was able to to spring a big play. Kingsley Suamataya, he had his best run-blocking game uh, of the year. He looked like the first-round pick that we expect him to be. Far and away, his best game. And I think that he looks comfortable, at least against Arkansas, he looked more comfortable as a left tackle than we've seen from him all year. 
Obviously, he was banged up against Southern Utah. That isn't fun. Uh, against Sam Houston, it's his first game as a left tackle. So, I mean, it makes sense that he would be the most comfortable in week three. I'm expecting a big game from Kingsley. I, I really am. And I thought he looked uh, I thought he looked really, really good against Arkansas. Caleb Etienne, he had some really great moments. He had some moments where I said, hey, maybe I've been too hard on Caleb Etienne. Then he had some moments that I said, boy, you got to get that guy off the field. My goodness, take his jersey from him. I mean, there are times that he's just terrible bad. So you really like to see whether it's Caleb Etienne figuring it out and being more consistent, or it's, hey, Daryl Funk, make a move. Put your big boy pants on, make a decision, and put Braden Kime in. Maybe you lose some of the potential ceiling that you would have with Caleb Etienne, but get some consistency. Whatever it is, the tackles have got to play well. I think Kingsley will. Who knows about right tackle? Then the interior of the, the offensive line, I think they played better. Waylon Lapuahu played well. Connor Pay had his best game. And Paul Miley starting to look more comfortable. That was a really tough Arkansas defensive front. I don't think Kansas's defensive front is anywhere near, not even in the same stratosphere as Arkansas. So this should be a game, at least on paper, this should be a game that BYU is able to create some space and get some momentum going in the running game. And boy, do they need to. Weather could be bad. This could be windy. It could be rainy. It could be, you know, there could be lightning delays. There could be all kinds of weird things going on. The booth is sold out. I think there will be a lot of BYU fans there, but hey, sellouts are sellouts. It's going to be loud. BYU needs a running game. I I just don't see a scenario where BYU is able to win a fourth straight game without having 100 yards rushing. I just don't, I, I don't see it. Not in today's era of college football. Not in today's era of college football. I, I just don't see it. People have talked about the BYU offense. It's kind of been feast or famine, right? They've either scored touchdowns or they've gone three and out, you know, maybe four and out. And I think that's in large part due to the lack of a running game. They don't have the ability they're, they're to get four yards on first down. So they're constantly playing behind the chains and putting everything on the arm of Keaton Slovis and his wide receivers. And to their credit, Slovis and the wide receivers have done well enough going up against defenses that are, are playing coverage because they know BYU can't run. They've done enough to go 3-0. and That's huge. That's great news. But eventually, that luck's going to run out. BYU has got to find a running attack, and they've got to find it uh, this week. I think they've got to find it tomorrow. If they don't, this could get ugly. If BYU is going three and out and you're just giving Jalen Daniels more opportunities, game could get ugly. BYU needs to sustain some drives. They need to get the running game going. They need to be able to score when they start a drive on their 20-yard line. Last week, BYU scored really well, right? They put up 38 points. People have said, Jeff, why don't you think the offense could score 40 points against Kansas when they put up 38 against a better Arkansas defense? Well, because I'm not expecting BYU to have an average field position of about the 40-yard line, an average starting field position. Would be great if they did. That's awesome. But I just don't think you could count on that kind of field position dominance week in and week out. BYU had it against Arkansas, and they took advantage of it, and that was great. But I don't see that happening two weeks in a row. I think BYU is going to have to sustain some longer drives 
And I just don't think they can do that against a defense that does not respect the running game at all. So they got to get a running game going and they've got to get it going very, very early. And I think they will. I think this is the game that the BYU offensive line comes together, that they flex their muscles a little bit. Look, I think they're pissed. I think they have heard all of the complaining. I think that they have seen it. They're a little embarrassed. They've seen what they put out on tape. They know these guys are too talented. Paul Miley, Kingsley, Waylon Lapuaho. I mean, Connor Pitt. These guys are too talented to have to to play like they have been. So I think this is the game that it comes together. And then it comes down to the passing game of Keaton Slovis. Hey, if you can get him a little bit more time, and if you can get a running game that's going to where Kansas has to respect it just a little bit more, now all of a sudden all of those play actions that, that Jaron Hall made a career off of, that Zach Wilson made a career off of, those hold a lot more weight. Now Keaton Slovis can come and play in the BYU offense that he thought he was coming to play in. But right now, he's playing in an offense that doesn't have a running game. He's playing in an offense with one hand tied behind his back. His wide receivers need to do a better job getting open, but I think part of that comes with the running game. Right now, nobody nobody respects the running game, so you're not falling for any you know uh, any play action. You don't buy that anybody's going to draw uh, run a draw, and your wide receivers are going to block or anything like that. You just sit back in a zone, you have seven men in coverage, and yeah, it's going to be really tough for a wide receiver to get open. They do need to get open. Fessy Satake talked about it this week. From a wide receiver standpoint, BYU got beat by Arkansas and got beat pretty handily. Keelan Marion got loose a little bit. Chase Roberts had you know that great catch in the end zone. But really, it was Isaac Rex who was the passing game. Everybody else was pretty pedestrian in that game. They struggled with the length of the Arkansas defensive backs. Kansas, I don't think they're great. They're not as physical as Arkansas was, but they're they're long. They've got strength. They've got great length. They've got the ability to to recover well. So we're gonna have to see a better performance from the the BYU wide receivers. From Slovis, man, I love what I've seen from Slovis. He was a little slow to process things against Sam Houston, and I I harped on him pretty good for that. But since then. He's been accurate. He's been pretty quick. He's protected the football. His stat line wasn't great against Arkansas, but again, I think a lot of that was due to the wide receivers. Cody Epps had a big drop. I'm trying to remember. There were a couple of other drops, I think, or at least maybe not technically drops, but balls that were catchable that weren't caught. I love what Slovis has done. People want to call him a game manager, and that's what he's done so far, but I've seen enough from him that I think he's really close. I think he's really close to a breakout game. And that could come against this Kansas defense. But if it if nobody's going to respect the running game and he's having to throw into seven, eight-man coverages all night long, I don't think that breakout game is ever going to come. So running game has to happen, and then the passing game has to be ready. And I think the passing game is. I'm, I'm far less concerned about the pass game. The running game has got to get better. It's got to get better, and it's got to get better right away. And at the end of the day, is Kansas not still Kansas? Going into Arkansas, I can understand why BYU would maybe feel intimidated by that environment. Whatever it was, 75, 79,000, whatever it was, 70,000 plus fans in an SEC environment, screaming, 
against a big, tough, physical Arkansas team. I get it. That's intimidating. But BYU won. Kansas, while better, Kansas, while inexplicably a near 10-point favorite, is still Kansas. So from an intimidation factor, like that shouldn't exist, right? Like, nobody should be intimidated by Kansas. Hey, they're 3-0. and That's great. But BYU's 3-0 and too. This team should have some swagger coming in. I hope that everybody on the team feels like Eddie Heckard does seemingly every minute of his life. Eddie Heckard plays with confidence. Eddie Heckard, he's not scared of anybody or anything. He, he was a dude. He went to Weber State, and he didn't care. He thought he could go to the NFL. Probably could have. Probably should have gone to the NFL. But he didn't. He came to BYU. That's great. We love it. Huge for the Cougars. But Eddie Heckard, man, I mean, he's that guy. He does not care whether he is at Weber State. He doesn't care if he's short. He doesn't care about any of that stuff. He got into the faces of SEC wide receivers on their turf, and he locked them down. He had great open field tackling. The, the one in the fourth quarter that everybody remembers, that was such a huge tackle. His wide receivers getting ready to make a move, and you could see Eddie Heckard. You could almost like read his brain the minute when he was like, F it, I'm going to tackle you, and he just broke. Made a great play. I wish everybody on BYU's roster had the attitude of Eddie Heckard. Because if that was the case, man, I think BYU would win by 20 tomorrow. So I hope to see some swagger. I hope to see some confidence. This team's good. This team is good. This team has not played their best football yet, not by a long shot, and they are 3-0. and This team has not played their best football and they just went into Arkansas, a team that boat raced them a year ago. They went to Arkansas, and they got the win. They came back from not one, but two double-digit deficits. That's huge. BYU was the better team against Arkansas. They were not just the winning team. I don't give a damn what the box score has to say. That game could not have started off worse for BYU. They were in a 14-0 deficit before they could even open their eyes fans were still in their cars running into the stadium to try to make hopefully make kickoff just a few minutes late those fans still weren't in the stadium and BYU was already down 14 nothing from that moment from about the three and a half minute mark in that game BYU won 38 to 17 BYU was the better team and I it wasn't close I, I don't really care what the box score says. I don't care what pundits have said that Arkansas, you look at the numbers, Arkansas should have won that game. No. If you watched the game, they had a fluky play on a long touchdown run. They had a kick, a punt return for a touchdown. And then they got dominated for four quarters and 12 or three quarters and 12 minutes. BYU should have some swagger. They should feel pretty confident going into Kansas. And frankly, they should be pissed off that they are 10-point underdogs for a second straight week. There's a lot of respect being given to Kansas and not a lot of respect being given to BYU. That should piss them off. Because frankly, at worst, they should the, the resumes are equal with Kansas. I mean, that's just, in my opinion... I think that's reality. I, I think that is, I don't, it is my opinion. I think it's fact. 
The last thing I want to talk about before we call this a show and we get ready for game day Saturday, I just want to blindly look at these. I mean, you, it's not blind. We know who we're looking at. But here's the wins that Kansas has had. Tennessee Tech, West Virginia, Houston, Duke, Iowa State, Oklahoma State, Missouri State, Illinois, and Nevada. That's the resume of wins since 2022. And, and we're seemingly ready to say that Kansas is a, a great football team. Kansas is a great football team because they have beaten Tennessee Tech, West Virginia, Houston, Duke, Iowa State, Oklahoma State, Missouri State, Illinois, and Nevada in the last 12 months and change. And yet BYU is just lucky to be here and will be fighting for bowl eligibility despite the fact that they have beaten USF, Baylor, Wyoming, Utah State, Boise State, Utah Tech, Stanford, SMU, Sam Houston, SUU, and Arkansas. Look, in no way am I trying to say that uh, a resume that features a 1-11 USF team and a win over Utah Tech and Sam Houston, in no way am I suggesting that that's some sort of playoff caliber resume. But when I stack up BYU's wins, Baylor, Boise, Stanford, Arkansas, and I stack them up against Duke, Oklahoma State, I guess West Virginia? Why are we ready to anoint one team as, hey, they're for real, they're the real deal, you got to watch out, and the other one is just happy to be here? Those resumes are eerily similar in my mind. Every ounce of respect that is being given to Kansas, I, I don't see any reason that BYU doesn't deserve that same amount of respect. And candidly, they're not getting it, and, and they should get pissed off. We don't see this much from a Kalani Satake team, but we're kind of seeing it from the BYU social media team. We're seeing it in the cut. We're seeing some of the pettiness. But take stuff personal. Allow yourself to get pissed. In fact, I watched an interview with Tom Brady. And Tom Brady talked about how anger motivated him. Anger made him want to kill somebody. Now, not physically, but football kill. It was anger. He had to find anything, not as motivation, but he looked for anything to get pissed off at somebody. That's what he did. I think BYU should be pissed off. I think BYU should look at the point spread and be pissed off. I think that BYU should look at the national narrative right now that Kansas should roll in this game, and that should piss them off. And if they do, I think BYU wins this game. My official prediction, call it 35-31. to 31. My heart, I think that BYU has an opportunity in the first quarter, early second quarter, if they can start off fast. If the defense can force Daniels into a turnover or to a you know a, a short drive, a three and out, if they can do that just a couple of times in the first quarter, I think BYU has an opportunity to win this game by 25 points. I really believe that BYU is the more talented team. We don't get to say that very often. But from a recruiting ranking standpoint, BYU is the more talented team. I love the, the Kansas coaching staff. I love the quarterback. I love the offensive scheme. There's a lot of things to like about Kansas, but I'm just not ready to say that they're a contender. And I think that BYU, I, I think BYU is better. 
I just do. I think BYU has more talent. I think their coaches are just as good. I think their quarterback, I would take Jalen Daniels over Keaton Slovis, yes. But it's not like I would kick Keaton Slovis to the curb because he's trash. I think Keaton Slovis is very, very good. I would take the BYU offensive line over Kansas, and I would take every single player on the BYU defense over Kansas' defense. I think BYU is a better team. I think they should win. So I'm saying 35 to 31. In my heart, I think a, it's a fast start away from being a, a 20, 25 point win for BYU. I really believe that in my heart. Maybe I'll be wrong. Maybe they'll play on Saturday and I'll look like an idiot on Monday because, hey, yeah, uh, Kansas got the best of BYU, beat them by 1,000. That could happen. Maybe Kansas is the real deal and that maybe it's just me rationalizing my my hope, my confidence in saying that BYU is the best defense that they've played. Maybe that's just justification and a rationalization for being a fan. But that's what I am. I am a fan. But I think I'm a fan that can look at this and say, well, they really haven't been tested, those Jayhawks. BYU's been known to test some people. Okay. That's where I'm at. Folks, we'll get Garrett back. Everybody, wish him the best of luck with having this child. It's kind of the surprise child. He didn't tell very many people. He did tell. Uh, he told everybody here on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and now it's here. So exciting for Garrett. Exciting for BYU. First Big 12 game. That's great. I hope that BYU goes in looking to make a statement. This is the only first Big 12 game that they're ever going to have. So go make a statement in this game. Make it a big 12, make it a game that not only is BYU going to remember, but the rest of the conference will remember BYU's first Big 12 game. That's the opportunity that's in front of the Cougars, and I hope they take it. We'll have to see. Appreciate you guys coming back and listening. Tell your friends, leave a review, and give them hell.